We'll be preaching for the book of Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. While you're turning, of course, uh, because of the abundance of the flu, I strongly urged Brother Oscar and his uh, family not to come. I just left the decision up to him. I was communicating through David Dixon. But I kept texting Brother David, of course, that we canceled potluck. And that's a big thing for a Baptist church to do. You know, it gets serious when you cancel potluck. Then, of course, I kept telling him I'm hearing more and more people that are out and how many kids were out of school. I have no idea if they even have the flu down in Nicaragua, if they built up any resistance. I'm pretty sure none of the family had gotten flu shots. They've got a little three-year-old and a girl in the seventh grade, and I was just worried about them coming into it because those of us even who are walking around healthy could be carrying it because some of your homes actually have, uh, have had the flu. And uh, so they decided that it would be best for them not to come, and I'm relieved about that. So uh, we will be communicating with you about uh, the information. I did have lunch with him and was able to visit with him. Uh, very fascinating, the work that they've done. He's a hard-working missionary. Uh, and we'll have, we'll have some opportunity to hear from what's going on down there. Now, next week, uh, Brother Jeremy will be in charge. I'll be in Phoenix. Toward the end of the week, I'll be going out to Phoenix, spending some time with uh, First Baptist Litchfield Park, uh, the revival service, then take a couple of days to, to spend with Nate. Uh, he'll be out there working a big gospel music festival, and I'm going to be his general flunky and roadie for all that that's going on. Stay a day or so to help him out, uh, but uh, Brother Jeremy will be taking care of the services. Just so you know where I am, uh, I'll be out west making my annual uh, pilgrimage out west, uh, but I will be checking in, praying for everybody, and hopefully by next week, this thing will be about done, but this is, a, this is some bad stuff. Be careful. Because of that, we're not going to the doors. We've already shaken hands with some of you. We're not going to the doors. There is hand sanitizer. If you want to get her on the way out, y'all be careful. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city sat on the east side of the city, made himself a shelter, and sat in it in the shade until he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant that it might come up over Jonah, that it might shade for, be shade for his head and deliver him from the misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as the morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. So it damaged the plant and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose and God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head. So he grew faint. So he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then Jonah, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even unto death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow. 
which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and left and much livestock? Let's pray, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it still speaks to us today, and we ask that it would speak to each of us individually and speak to our church. Father, we ask that uh, you would do your work in our lives. Be with those who are sick. Father, protect those of us who are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, I'm sure many of us have read through the book of Jonah. We've studied the book of Jonah. We all know the story. Jonah was a, a blessed man. Jonah was a blessed man. He had just witnessed a remarkable personal rescue. A rescue that seemed to be just totally, totally out of reach of any human being. He had witnessed a rescue, of course, out of the jaws of death, literally. Jonah had been given a second chance to do God's plan. Have you ever thought, man, if I just had the chance to go back and do that over again? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So we know he had had a second chance. Jonah had just witnessed a spectacular revival. Hundreds of thousands had been saved. Now, it ends with the fact that God identifies there are over 120,000 individuals in Nineveh who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. What does that mean? 120,000 small children. We know that even if you looked at 120,000 small children, both of them had two parents, not even counting siblings. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Well, we know that, that all of Nineveh accepted God and repented and were saved of the horrible tragedy that it was coming. So we know he had witnessed a, a revival of just unthinkable, unthinkable uh, dimensions. Hundreds of thousands. Now, if the book of Jonah would have ended at the end of chapter 3, what a hero he'd be. What a happy ending it would be. It would all seem to be like everybody lived happily ever after. But it didn't, did it? Chapter 4 is just kind of like a, a sour note at the end of the song. It's like, what? Everything was going so predictable. And then chapter 4 comes. Chapter 4 brings us into the realm of, well, we might say the unthinkable. Because how can a man be just that unhappy about things? Not quite. I would say chapter 4 brings us more into the realm of the familiar. You see, up till now, it's like, this is something I can't even imagine happening to me. Then chapter 4 comes, and we are familiar with chapter 4, because first of all, we're introduced to a familiar emotion. Anger. Who was Jonah mad at? Well, let's check the boxes. He was mad at others. That's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place because he was mad at the Ninevites. They were some bad people. And he had probably suffered some personal harm at the hands of the Ninevites because he was from a border town and those Assyrians had been coming down into his town and most likely he had had some negative encounters with these people. He was mad at the Ninevites. He was mad at his circumstances. Things just didn't turn out the way he wanted to. He was mad at the weather. 
He was mad at everything. Now, don't we get mad sometimes? You see, anger is a familiar emotion. Well, let me say this. If you're not mad, irritation is a familiar emotion. You see, it's inevitable because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world, and we rub shoulders with broken people, and sometimes circumstances don't go our way, and sometimes we get sick, and sometimes we hurt, sometimes things happen, and we are irritated at living in a broken world. And sometimes, of course, anger is justified. Anger is justified. It's okay when we get angry when we see injustice and unfairness and crime. We ought to be mad at some things. And so we understand that anger is familiar to us, so we come from the realm of Man, this is just really an unthinkable series of events to, man, I've been there before because Jonah is mad. You see, but Jonah's anger, as familiar as it is, is a symptom of a deeper problem, a backslidden heart. And we know that Jonah's heart is not right with God. Now, don't be going judging. Well, we know his heart's not right with God because notice his response the salvation of a soul, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 15, the salvation of one soul causes rejoicing in the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen hundreds of thousands of souls saved when Nineveh repents. Can you imagine what's going on in heaven? Can you imagine the joy that's in God's heart? Can you imagine the happiness that's going on in God's kingdom and Jonah is sour, and he's bitter, he's whiny, and he's pouting. Because, despite the fact all this has happened, making God happy, but Jonah's not happy. So who's out of step with the heart of God? God's happy, Jonah's not happy. So we have to say, yes, we know that Jonah is out of step with God. One of the classic signs of a backslidden heart is the fact that we can't get happy and everything makes us mad and we are irritated and we're sour and we're bitter and we're cynical and we're dark all the time. That is a symptom of something far deeper than everybody else around us. It's a symptom of a backslidden heart. And here's the thing about it. Not only had all this gone on with the Ninevites, but Jonah had seen his own prayers answered. How's that? Well, if I was in the belly of a big fish, I'd be praying too. And he was praying. And he prayed and he prayed harder than he had ever prayed before. And God answered his prayer and he was still irritated. So can you see, here's a man that's out of step with God. And his sourness and anger and bitterness means he's out of focus. He cannot see what God wants him to to see. So God asked him a very pointed question. And he says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? This is in verse four. Is it right for you to be angry? Now, this can apply to us when we're angry. And sometimes we get angry. And sometimes we're right to be angry. When somebody's mistreated, when crime is rampant, when indifference dulls the church, it's, it's right to be angry. So when we're angry, when we're irritated, if we get a little bit sour, then God comes and says, are you right to be angry? 
And we have to do that self-evaluation. But you see, this could be with any emotion. Are you right to be greedy? Are you right to be so proud? Are you right to be so comfortable and satisfied? Because sometimes comfortable and satisfied is the last emotion we need when it comes to God's work. Are you right to be angry? And this can apply to any behavior and activity. So we find out what we're doing now in life and the direction we're going in life. And so we ask the question, are you right to be doing this? Are you right to be saying that? Are you right to be responding in this way to the things that life is bringing with you? You see, all of this is a pointed question that God asked to Jonah. And it is a pointed question that he asked us. And that's always good for us to gather together in God's house. And perhaps that's what church does is for us to ask the hard questions. Are we right? Is it a good thing that we're heading this direction and doing these things? Of course, Jonah nurtured and cherished his anger. And Jonah nurtured and cherished his own personal comfort while he neglected God's ways. So we understand that God asked a diagnostic question. Is this right for you to be right here with this emotion, with these activities in your life? And that's a question we must ask ourselves repeatedly. But then we have a pointed, a beautiful portrait of God's love in the book of Jonah. Love and forgiveness, first of all, of the Ninevites. Now, Jonah mourned the loss of a plant. A plant that he had no investment in. No investment. He, had, he was not responsible for its growth. He was not responsible for a, a single leaf on the plant. And he was mourning because of the loss of the plant. Just got all bent out of shape. God was mourning over the fate of Nineveh. And he said, you've got to go and tell them. He could not, judgment has to come because he's a holy God. But God mourned even when judgment was coming and he sent Jonah. He pitied Nineveh. And so we understand what a story of God's mercy and forgiveness that hundreds of thousands of Ninevites can come and find salvation with God. But you know, it's also a beautiful portrait of God's love and forgiveness when we look at Jonah. Jonah, of course, was not like the Ninevites. The Ninevites, of course, grew up in a culture that was away from God. Jonah grew up in a culture he knew God from his earliest days up. He knew about God and he had worked for God. He was a prophet of the Lord, a successful prophet of the Lord. And here's Jonah who knew everything there was about God and was very much familiar with God and he ran from God. He's so unlovable. Here he is, had, had really experienced all the benefits of growing up in a culture that knew God, and he ran from God. Then he threw a little fit. He threw a little tantrum. He had him in a little personal pity party. So he realized, what's God going to do with this little spoiled brat? Well, I know what I'd do with a spoiled brat throwing a tantrum. Like We all know what we'd do, you know. I would say, you know, about the first time that he got thrown overboard, you know, but going down to the bottom of the ocean with your bad self, Jonah, you're going to run from me, see how far you are now. Then the fish swallows him up. How you like this? You see, God loved Jonah enough, first of all, to send the fish. Why was that? 
Jonah needed to get a taste of what it was like to be hopeless without hope. That's exactly how the Ninevites were. Obviously, it didn't take, but he did at least get the taste of it. And Jonah got a taste of what it was like to be rescued from sure and certain destruction. But you see, God gently asked a question to Jonah. Jonah, now wait a minute. Stop. Time out. Are you right to be throwing this little pity party? Are you right to be throwing a tantrum? God didn't have to do that. God very gently sends relief to Jonah. He says he prepared a plant and it grew up over Jonah. And Jonah was so glad. He didn't have to do that. And it reminds me of a story that Jesus told years later of the prodigal son. We all know the story of the bad boy. But then, of course, the elder brother. You remember the elder brother comes in out of the field? And here's, a, here's his younger brother who has found hope. He has found redemption. The father loves him. The father's bringing him into the house, just like God brought the Ninevites into his family. Well, he can't get happy about it, can he? He throws him a little tantrum, throws him a little pity party. And the father could have said, well, just stay out there then. Barbecue's good, but you can stay out there. But what does he do? He goes out to him, and he invites him in. Now you say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. I've, I've read that. I, I'm not sure where the invitation is. Well, he says, it is right that we should celebrate and feast. So he's inviting him in. He goes out and says, come in, son, and enjoy the celebration because your brother is now back in the family. And so God goes out to Jonah and he says why don't you come and enjoy the party too why don't you come and enjoy the party too and we have here also a wonderful description of God from a very imperfect messenger isn't that something that God could get some praise even out of broken vessels and Jonah was one of them he is about one of the most unattractive prophets that I believe we could ever meet. He ran from God. He threw a pity party because all these people got saved. He got mad. And you're thinking, boy, that's about as disgusting as it gets. But notice what he says in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, wasn't this what I said when I was still in my country? That's why I fled to Tarshish. Listen to this. I know. You're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant loving kindness, the one who relents from doing harm. What a beautiful picture of God. I know you're a gracious God. You're a merciful God. You're slow to anger and gracious with, and plenteous in your loving kindness. What a beautiful description of God. You would think that would be coming from the psalmist David on one of his best days. No, that's coming from Jonah on his worst day. And isn't that something how God can get praise even out of broken people like us? Like us. Even a broken vessel like Jonah. As we mentioned last week, he's inadvertently winning people to the Lord everywhere he goes. All the sailors on the ship get saved. All in Nineveh get saved. Here's God using about the most imperfect vessel to do his work. How much more can he do with somebody who's on board with his plan? in right with him and in step with him. Now the book ends 
with an unanswered question. Only two books in the Bible end with question marks, Jonah and Nahum. And quite interestingly, both of them deal with Nineveh. But Jonah ends with an unanswered question. God asked Jonah the question. But the Lord said, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored or made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and left hand and much livestock? Question mark. Now let's read the answer to that. Oh, it's not in there. We don't know how Jonah responded. Perhaps it's not important how Jonah responded as it is how we'll respond to that question. The question I suppose to ask is this. As we look at the book of Jonah, we saw all this familiar emotion. What will it take to make us happy? What would it have taken to make Jonah happy at this time? Well, probably nothing. Why? Because he was out of step with God. And if we're unhappy with everything and everybody and sour and bitter, maybe it's not everything and everybody. What will it take to make us happy? Well, let's just say this. How much does it make, take to make me really angry? What does it take to make me mad? What does it take to ruin my day? And then once it's ruined, does it stay ruined all day long because of something that happened? What does it take to really twist me off? Well, how much will it take for me to give up on God's plan for my life? See, Jonah gave up on God and he ran the other way. What, what's going to take, how much does it take to make me flinch and to quit on God? See, those are questions that are all wrapped up in the book of Jonah. It leaves us with the unanswered question is, don't you think I should have pity on the lost? That's the question he sums it up with. And our answer to the question really is a reflection of if our heart's right with God or not. We prepare for an invitation on him, and we meet ourselves in the book of Jonah. Sometimes we're the Ninevites totally away from God. God went through great measures to get them back in the fold. Sometimes we're Jonah. We're running from God. Sometimes we're not quite running from God. We may be doing all the right things, but our heart's not really right with God because we can't get enthusiastic about what God's enthusiastic about. Too many things sidetrack us. Too many things make us unhappy. Too many things cloud our joy. So we have to ask ourselves the question, you know, where are we when, with our walk with God? God goes through great measures to bring us back into the fold. Aren't we thankful for this beautiful picture of the Master as we stand and sing? Number 57. Number 57.